Hi, welcome to another episode of the Inside Social Work Podcast. I'm your host, Marie Bakakis. It's so great to have you listening. Thank you to those who've made an effort to put a rating or review on iTunes. It makes it much easier for other people to find the podcast. So if you've got a sec and you're liking what you hear, I'd really appreciate one of those reviews. Helps get the word out there and getting more people listening to the podcast. There's a Facebook group that you can join, Inside Social Work. We have a bit of a chat there, post some things. Feel free to, to join, to share with other people who might be interested. Um, yeah. So today's episode, uh, I chat with Jane Wexler and we touch on a topic of supervision. And this comes up often. It probably won't be the last of interviews where I talk to a guest about uh, supervision, but she talks about the importance of supervision, how to make the most of it. And then she talks a little bit about the challenges uh, working as a social worker and starting a business. So she runs a consulting business and she does a lot of supervision so a little bit about Jane. Jane is the founding director of the WEX Group, uh, specializing in leadership development, coaching, supervision, and training in Australia, China, Singapore, and Asia Pacific. Jane is widely sought after for her expertise as a consultant, supervisor, coach, and educator, having delivered AASW and ACWA indoor supervision training and other learning programs to thousands of human service professionals in Australia and abroad. Prior to establishing her own company, she was co-owner and co-publisher of a successful Australian entertainment magazine and taught social work students across Australian universities and business studies in China. Jane combines her qualifications and unique blend of skills in human services, business and education with an interest in Eastern philosophy and dissolving some of the boundaries between sectors, discipline and methods. Her professional life is balanced by a long involvement in the arts and entertainment industries, in publishing, and as an accomplished singer-songwriter. Jane's approach reflects her commitment to developing self-mastery, authentic relationships, and using effective frameworks and tools creatively with a spirit of adventure. So as you can hear from that bio, she's a pretty impressive lady with lots of skills and lots of experience, and I really hope you enjoy my episode with Jane Wexler. Welcome to the podcast, Jane. Thank you very much. So that was a very broad introduction to the range of different things you've done internationally and locally. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you're currently working on now? What are some of the focuses in your, in your company, um, some of the training that you're working on? Okay, well, that's a good question. That makes me feel energetic as soon as you ask it. And that's good. It tells me what I should be focusing on. Um, I have actually just started, re I thought about this before, but I'm starting to think um, about developing some new uh, training workshops around um, running small businesses for social workers. And often that's many social workers kind of moving to private practice and they've been around for a long time. But also, uh, you know, new social workers who just have a kind of uh, an interest in going out on their own and uh, even if they don't have that much experience, it's still a possibility. So that's one thing I'm thinking of doing, which is to develop a workshop to um, help people out with some thinking around what might be involved in that. Um, it's definitely not anything that is usually part of social work um, training. Um, and actually business can often be seen as kind of the enemy of social work. So which it isn't, but that's a kind of um, 
sometimes I find people think of the two as the opposites. So that's that's one thing I'm working on. I think that would be good fun. Um, I'm I am in the process of writing a chapter a, a chapter in a book about social work supervision um, with a colleague Ronnie Egan, who I believe you have interviewed here on your podcasts. Yeah, Ronnie did a an whole episode on supervision and student placement. So she's yeah. very passionate about that topic. She is, and. Uh, She's, uh, so I'm working with her on that book chapter and that, that should be pretty interesting. Um, I'm just, I'm also doing my normal stuff, which is um, I do a lot of supervision of social workers and also people from different disciplines. And um, I also coach people as well, which is a kind of, um, it's, it's an aspect of supervision, but um, supervision is broader than coaching. So I do a lot of coaching with non-social workers, but also with some social workers. Um, and a lot of training, education and training around supervision. So how to become a supervisor. Also, if you're being supervised, how you can make the most of supervision um, and workshops around leadership development. I've done uh, quite a bit of that this year. I, and I did some overseas training again. I do, uh, for many years, I've done a lot of work in Singapore. Um, and that was the one, the work that I did in Singapore this year was with... Um, quite a lot of um, social workers and child protection. So a whole range of those sorts of things, that's what I'm working on. Um, I'm also doing some non-social work things. I don't know if you're interested in those, but I do, I think it's pretty important to um, do things outside of your own areas. And I definitely encourage new graduates to keep doing other stuff that they do apart from um, their involvement in social work and developing a career because I see it all as everything we do is related to everything else. So I'm still involved in music and I've been um, writing a lot of music, music compositions for piano and I'm just kind of grappling with some software that I'm trying to run and, and get my head around and connecting that up with my, I've got a synthesizer as well as um, upright piano and spending a lot of time on that too. So, um, yeah, there's some of the things that I'm doing. There's so many things. I don't know what to ask you first. I'm so excited. I think, I mean, when you were talking about the very first thing around developing some business planning for social workers, I think that really caught my attention because I think you're right that business is often either seen as the enemy or people go into business with a really good idea. So, I mean, th there's a number of reasons why people become entrepreneurs and, and do their own business. Some it's they see a niche that needs to be filled. Some want a particular work-life balance and they have the theory and the skills around the product, but we don't have MBAs. We're not necessarily taught anything about managing finances and hiring people and position description and overheads and simple budgets. And I, I really wanted to, to draw that out a bit and see what are your, what are your thoughts around that? How can people who want to, to take that business side, how can they marry that with some of the things that they might not think are traditionally social work? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right in some of those things that you highlighted. Um, I think one of the challenges, well, this is just my experience, and, it's, and I do a lot of coaching of people around this. One of the challenges, particularly for people who are trained in social work or who work in human services, is to kind of reconcile private work and actually 
um, asking people for money for your work with some of the principles of social work and philosophy of um, equality and, and working towards social justice. And people struggle a bit with that aspect. That, so that's one component that I actually think needs to be brought into helping people get their head around all the other, all the other practical elements. Because in the end, when you're talking about, I mean, a business has to, whatever the business is for, even if it's, um, even if it's not for profit, it needs, the people involved need to understand their relationship, how they think about money and also what it means for them personally. So I really like to unpack that a lot with people when they're talking about what they want to do, even before we start going into the, you know, like the logistics of what is it you'd like to do? Um, why are you thinking of this? How, how might you go about all those? I think of them as systems, the way you describe them. So the financial systems, the marketing, communication, um, all the elements that are involved in running a business. Um, but what interests me a lot is, uh, yeah, the, the initial work, getting people to think about themselves and, and uh, how they kind of locate themselves in that whole, that whole uh, world of business. Why do we find it so tough to put a value on our work and our experience and our time? A monetary value. I mean, we know it's very valuable and important. Yeah, well, I think um, I think one of the reasons is because we're not people aren't taught to do that because most social workers don't certainly previously haven't worked in private private practice. Um, usually, we work for other not-for-profit organisations, community organisations, government, um, and other areas. So we haven't needed to. Um, however, that's I've always thought that that's a big, um, big mistake because, and particularly now when the world has moved much more in terms of startups, anybody can can create a startup, which is really what a you know a business is. Um, so more and more people are doing that. So there's a much greater need. There's much more crossover in social work with um, social enterprise, which is a business, um, and small small initiatives which are designed, which, which have sort of come from um, social work principles and ideas of creating more social justice and equity, and yet there may have business components too. So there's much more of a need for it now. It's become more and more obvious to me. But I think it's partly because in education that hasn't been a part of social work education. And also probably, if I can generalise, um, which I can do, but... I might be wrong, um, but, you know, social workers have, tend to be people who aren't focused on um, the financial aspect or making money. So, um, and that's not to say that businesses, that's what the primary focus of business is. It's not necessarily, but it's certainly an aspect. You have to be able to know how to bring in income um, and, and generate wealth in order to be able to keep something rolling over. What you do with that wealth, you can still... Um, donate money or make a not-for-profit uh, business model, but uh, you've got to be able to understand the financial aspects. So money coming in, money going out, basically. So, yeah, I think it's probably a mixture of a few things. And maybe, I mean, some people, as you would know um, yourself, you know, running a business and being an entrepreneur is certainly not for everybody. It take, you've, got to, you've got to like risk. I, I, I've always liked taking risk, although I'm fairly probably a cautious risk taker, 
but you have to like taking risks. You have to like jumping in and trying something new. Um, and it's really got to be fun. And um, so there are many different reasons why people go into that area. I think you've covered it really well. And there's so many areas. I mean, we could, have, we could do a whole episode on just starting a business. Yes. But I mean, so one of the things that I'm drawing, I guess, a parallel to how we use supervision. So we're constantly reflecting on our own practice. So for those who want to go into business, we, we, we have the skills to kind of understand where is our gap in knowledge? What do we need to do? And who do we need to resource and pull in to fill that need? But I sense for some reason there's a hesitation there and I think it goes to what you were saying, probably that initial value of how to reconcile asking for money for your work. Could some of it also be when people try to spread themselves really thin, It's they feel they need to do everything and get involved with everything because it's their baby. It's like they've, They're so passionate about the cause or the need that they're almost a little bit scared to relinquish a little bit of control so they burn themselves out by trying to do everything. Yeah, well, that's that's very true. I think that happens. That's actually what happens in um, small business for anybody. Um, that it's it's you know that's the nature of any business. That it. I mean, you could spend your every hour of the day involved in it because it's a kind of endless process. Um, I think going back to your question a bit earlier, why people may struggle with it. I think also, look, there is an element of um, you don't know what you don't know. So if you have never been involved in business or if you've never had kind of role models or people around you who've done it, if you've never really been exposed to what it, what it involves, then you won't know. So you do have to do a lot of bit of research and you've got to, not necessarily formal training, obviously, but you've really, um, it's better to learn as much as you can before you make some big mistakes. Um, mind you, making mistakes is also a way of learning. But, yeah, people don't always know what's involved um, and certainly their education in social work is not focused on that because it's focused on the nature of social work itself. What um, would be your advice to someone to help kind of resolve that? So would it be like a business coach? Would it be a group of people? How could they yeah, what would be well, their starting point? Yes, well, if, we've still, if we're still talking about the business thing, I think, yeah, it could be a coach or it could be friends who are quite, you know, involved in business. And I just talk to as many people as possible. That's, um, and whether it's not necessarily business, but anything you're wanting to do, even supervision, when people ask me, how would you prepare for becoming a supervisor? Um, I just say, well, ask people, you know, that are supervisors, ask them what it's like. So it's the same with business, running a business, whether it be a private practice in social work or um, some other kind of uh, related social work business activity like training or coaching or developing podcasts or communication, whatever it is. Um, ask people what their experience is and it'll give you an idea of what you think you will like or not like. And that's a great way of learning. Yeah, and that's a really nice segue into, I guess, your experience in supervision. What what made you create a company where a large part of your focus is supervising, coaching, training? It's not that 
sort of direct client work anymore where your clients are actually other people, other professionals working in those fields? Look, I don't, I think that would, that just kind of happened as a result of my life experience and my work experience. Um, it definitely wasn't something I set out to do. So it was never a big plan of mine to do that. But because when I started in social work, you know, I, I did the training and then I got, you get placements in certain areas, which sometimes can influence where you start working, which then can influence where you work after that. So for me, just by a, a mere fluke, my very first job was in a primary school. So I was, I was not surrounded by social workers, I was surrounded by teachers and educators. And when I look back, which is quite a long time ago now, I can see that that probably actually started to influence my whole career right back then. Um, so I ended up, you know, I, I did that work for a while, working in a primary school, working with um, parents. And then I moved into a whole lot of other areas. So I did some alcohol and drug work um, and community development work. I did, I worked with unemployed youth for quite a long time. But then I moved into the area and I did some counselling as well with different organisations. Um, after that, though, I moved into the area, got some research work related to unemployed youth with the TAFE College. So that organisation was an educational organisation. So I did that work and somehow after that I got asked to do some teaching in the universities and social work. So then I kind of got drawn into that whole world of academia and teaching social work. And I did that for quite a while, working in different organisations. Um, and then I moved to China at some point in between there and got a whole other experience of, but of, of um, obviously different cultures. But also I was working, organisations were asking me to come in and train their Chinese staff to work in English-speaking speaking foreign companies. So I was kind of training them in... in um, business practices, English business practices. So all my clients probably for the last 15 years of my working life had been in the education field. So when I finally um, came back to Australia and started working, I thought, yeah, this, this is my area of expertise was education training and my clients were kind of not direct clients anymore. So I thought I would be good at, at doing that. And so I, I was, it was really a mixture of what I was probably good at, what I knew the most about, and also what I thought would be fun. So that's, I think, how I ended up doing <laughs> So it just kind of evolved by the sounds of it in a really interesting and multinational way. It did. It did evolve. And that, that, that's me. Almost when I think about all the things I do, most of them evolve, have evolved. And that has meant I've made some mistakes. Um, and I've had some great successes. So that kind of goes with the territory. And I, when I look now, back now at some things that I've done, I think, oh, if I'd known now what I didn't know then, I wouldn't have done it or, or whatever the saying goes. But I would encourage people to not worry if you do make mistakes, especially new graduates, because we're just not always, we're kind of led to believe in this world that we're always in control of, or we can be in control of everything that happens and, you know, we've got to focus on achieving this, that and the other. But really, I think life has its own way of kind of pushing us and pulling us in different directions. And the best we can do is to be as mindful as possible at the time 
and to do what we can with whatever experiences and skills we have at the time because you know over time we get more skills and things change but you can't you can't sort of push yourself beyond where you are so um yeah that's that's my experience but look there are people who plan things right from the start and in 10 years time 15 20 years time they're doing exactly what they planned and they can be highly successful so this is my person i'm not, i'm not that kind of a person but i guess i'm here to say you know, it can work the other way too. You don't have to plan everything. So you're you're quite well known among social work circles now for your supervision training and for educating um, professionals in how to provide effective supervision. Yeah. What are some of the key things that you think perhaps supervisors maybe overlook before they have some more formal training or when they have the training as a refresher? What are some of the things for those listening that you might want to, you know, encourage them to kind of, this is something I notice a lot of people think, oh, I never realised that I should be doing that or I don't do enough of that or do you have any kind of tips for advice for people when they're supervising others? Yeah, well, that's that's a great question. Um, look, I should stay up, say, I, I don't know if I did mention I still do supervise a lot of people. So your question it comes up when I'm training people and also the people I supervise too. I would say to people, the very first thing I would say to people is back yourself more and follow your intuition. Um, now, I know that's a very general answer, but what I've found is that it often applies to many situations. Um, so, for example, if people have, feel that they just don't know enough about something, then they probably, they may not. So in that case, get a bit of training or ask somebody or do some reading or don't, don't criticise yourself because you're a bit unsure of what to do. Just actually do something about it if you can. It's a small step. But in doing that, you're backing yourself and your own judgement. Because I find social workers tend to be... Um, social workers, one of their great strengths is that they're usually very nice people and they have great values and they're very humble but I don't find them the most confident of people um, so that's why I'm saying back yourself more um, the other things that I tend to say often to people is um, yeah maybe Reflection is, is a great thing and obviously I teach people, you know, reflection is a big part of supervision um, and I've done a lot of it. But as social workers, and I, and I worked with Jan Fulkin at Deakin University years ago, who is just a fantastic leader in the whole critical reflection area. Um, so I've certainly a strong advocate of it. But sometimes social workers get a bit caught up in reflecting too much to the point where we don't act enough. So that would be another aspect, which is use supervision to reflect, but follow that up with some actions um, and then come back and reflect on, did that work, did that not work? And that's why also in supervision, I don't just offer reflection as a framework. Supervision, to me, it's more than that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are great supervisors around who use a whole range of approaches to supervision like there are art therapists narrative 
Um, there's just solution focused. There's just many ways of, of supervising and actually thinking about your own practice. So that would be, um, I've kind of gone off the track a bit, but that, that would be something to think about. So if you're, let's say you're a new graduate or you're moving into, or not so new or new, but you will still want to go into supervision, um, think about your own personal strengths. And by that, I don't just mean what skills you have in social work, but you're, I always encourage people to bring their whole self into, into whatever they're doing, um, particularly in supervision. So, you know, if you've got hobbies outside of your work, or if you're very good at something or passionate about something, find a way of kind of bringing that particular strength into the way you work as a supervisor. Um, yeah, so that's something that I, so I help people work out, well, how could I do that? I mean, it's a bit like, Marie, what you're doing with, you know, creating podcasts. So you're a strong communicator and obviously very good listener um, to be able to do this aspect of your work. So, yeah, I just encourage people to do whatever it is that they kind of feel drawn to, even if they don't see a path for it at this point in time. I like how you talk about that and bringing in all the different things that you're interested in and different areas of your life, because I think that's also so valuable in client work. And I work a lot with, um, with young people and I've worked a lot in schools and sometimes being yourself is what connects you. So talking about art or music or, you know, a sport or like that can be that one thing that gets someone thinking, oh, that person's just like me. And you can utilize those skills in so many different ways. There's so many opportunities to bring your own kind of flavor into social work. Yeah, that's great. And, and you've hit the nail on the head because what, what we're really talking about is, um, and you obviously do it with your clients, is ask people, often people get stuck because they're not sure what's going on for somebody, whether it be as a supervisor, what's going on for the supervisee or even with clients. But we often just forget to just straight out, we'll ask them. Um, and funnily enough, that, that comes up a lot in supervision. I'll often say to somebody, well, they'll say, I think this person's experiencing this, that and the other. And I'll say, well, how, how do you know that? And they'll say, oh, well, you know, I get the impression. Have you asked them? No, I haven't asked them directly. So that's another thing is really getting used to asking lots of questions and be curious about other people. Do you find supervisors really struggle with that power dynamic shift of sometimes offering that kind of support to their peers who may be of a similar age or have more or less experience? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. That's a common um, difficulty for people when they're moving into supervision, especially if they're in an organisation and the people they're starting to supervise are people who have been their friends and or colleagues. So it's really difficult navigating that change. Um, it's, you know, it's about seeing yourself as a supervisor now and actually thinking about all the implications that has for your relationships because it does it does change relationships and what can people i mean a lot of organizations i've worked for and i know people working in their task their sort of line manager or task manager is often the one that provides supervision but i don't know if i don't necessarily agree that it's supervision in its purest 
form of the word. So it might just be task allocation. How are you going? Yep. Tracking well, performance review. Yep. Done. How is that different to really good quality supervision that's around case conceptualization and reflection and, and managing risk of burnout and all those things? How does that look different? Some people might never have actually had that kind of supervision before. Oh, that, that's very true. And um, look, supervision, even though in social work, it's a very strong culture and traditional supervision, even amongst social workers, there are different ideas and experiences of what it is, let alone all the other disciplines that we work with. So that's a whole other area of, you know, um, cross-discipline cross supervision. Um, so what you're talking about, organisations, there can be pressure to use supervision as a kind of managerial monitoring tool, which is really focused on performance. Um, now, to me, that's the reality is that can be and is supervision, but it's not actually what we want supervision to be. We want what we ideally you want supervision to be focused on deep thinking, deep reflection, um, learning, unpacking assumptions, development, professional growth, that sort of stuff. So that's thought about, that's thought of as an edu educative function. So the managerial function, which you described, um, is an aspect of supervision because you want, I mean, at some point, a supervisor has to be wanting, together with the supervisee, to make sure that somebody's actually doing their work properly, you know, to, to a standard. Um, ideally, you want that to be a sort of collaborative, trusting relationship so, so that the supervisee doesn't feel um, under the pump. But the reality is, if your supervisor is your line manager, there's always going to be that power difference. So the only way around that when you don't have, when you have organisations that are kind of a bit limited in how they see supervision and who are restrictive, um, in their nature is to for the supervisor themselves who may be the line manager to be as transparent as they can be about that difference so that you have discussions with the supervisee about okay I'm your line manager so I can understand that you might feel uncomfortable talking about aspects how are we going to build trust together how are we going to manage this um, what do you need to know in terms of what you can tell me so you're not always worrying about whether I'm going to then suddenly use that against you, these sorts of things. So, yeah, I think that that's... Um, I have a lot of discussions with people about that in training and also when I'm supervising. That's pretty difficult. But unfortunately, that is the reality for many people of what supervision is. But having said that... Um, Look, on this, you know, the, the, the chapter that we're writing at the moment, there's a huge variation in what supervision is and can be in Australia and around the world, actually. And also our notions of supervision are changing all the time. Um, so there's a lot of scope for growth and development in this area. And I guess what I'd say is, going back to your original question about when it's very um, focused on performance and line management is is to uh, just keep the faith that that is not what supervision should be entirely. Um, so we just have to keep working on ways around it and changing cultures in organisations as well. 
So I've, I've pulled out from, from our last few moments uh, some of the tips for supervisors around build, being transparent and backing yourself more, following your intuition um, and a few other things around balancing reflection up with action. What are some things supervisees can do to really maximise supervision or help push it or grow it into the direction that is going to be most useful for them in the season of their career or the stages of life that they're in? Okay, well, um, so what they can do themselves to prepare for supervision. Yeah, or how they can either have those conversations around actually this, because a lot of, I see a lot of people come to supervision and they expect the supervisor to guide it. Um, yeah. You know, so what are some tips that people can do to maybe revamp their supervision or take it in a new direction or how to maximise that maybe one hour a month that they get or... Look, I think the main thing for them is to prepare. Um, now, I say that because prepare is a very broad statement. I say it because there are lots of different types of supervisors out there and some people may not trust the supervisor. I'm just talking about the worst case scenario, but also being realistic. So, so what that means is for some people, it's really a matter of manage, they have to manage their supervisor as well. If, if you don't have an ideal supervision relationship, then rather than sort of getting bogged down in the fact that no, it's not a great relationship, the best thing a supervisee can do is to manage that by preparing, okay, what do I want from this supervision meeting? What am I likely to get? And what is the best way I can get that? So if you want to talk about cases, then, come to supervision and request that and come with some ideas about what you want to talk about. Or if you're not, um, or you can come do some work and present something to your supervisor if that's, if that's your way of learning. Um, supervisees need to take responsibility for what happens in supervision, um, largely because in the end it's the supervisee who deep down knows what they want to get from supervision. Even the best supervisors um, can't know exactly what somebody is um, gaining from supervision, even if you do evaluations and you have a fantastic relationship. I mean, I, I have supervisees tell me things about what they've gained from our conversations that I would never have imagined. Um, and I'm not saying that as a way of trying to say I'm a fantastic supervisor. I'm just making the point that even for someone like me who's very experienced and think I might might have an idea of how people have found supervision, I'm often surprised at what they say. So that goes back to a supervisee needs to prepare. So think about how you want to spend the time. If you've got one hour, what do you want to focus on? So think about what when you leave that supervision meeting, how do you want to feel or what do you want to have covered or what outcome do you want? So that means if you can work that out before you go in, you've got a much stronger chance of actually um, achieving that. So preparation. And um, talk to other supervisees. What's your experience of supervision? Have you, and especially ones who have good supervision, ask them what works well, why does it work well? And then, of course, if ideally, if you have the chance to choose your supervisor, which is probably not, most people probably don't, but if you do, and um, particularly if you've got an external supervisor, you can have more options, 
ask them questions that you're interested in. Ask them about their experience, their approach, how they build a relationship, how do they build trust. Um, and so by asking those questions of your supervisor, you'll get a bit of an insight into what they're like and whether their style and, the, and everything will fit with what you want. So, yeah, preparation. It's like, um, you know, choosing a, a doctor or uh, maybe someone in the workplace. You're thrown in the workplace with lots of different people, but you may gravitate towards some because you're sort of more in tune with them. So it's the same kind of process, but you may be much more limited in, in what you can achieve with that person or it may be a fantastic match. So those sorts of things I think are pretty important. So I'm kind of going outside the normal, the sort of standard things that I think most people could guess um, in terms of preparation. What you find, uh, are you happy for me to keep talking about that? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Um, I'll just, from the other point of view, a lot of supervisors, and this, is, this goes back to one of your previous questions, they often talk about passive supervisees you know, that they can't get the supervisee involved in supervision and, you know, it's like pulling teeth and in a quite negative way. Um, so that suggests that there's either something going on in the organisation around what supervision is that's not positive or there's something happening in the relationship between the supervisor and the supervisee or the sup from my point of view, the supervisor needs to keep working at understanding what works best for the supervisee or probably the minute the, the least number of cases a supervisee is actually struggling quite seriously with their work um, but that doesn't happen that often so I usually put it back on supervisors uh, but I think sometimes supervisees don't know what supervision is um, so it is the responsibility of a supervisor to talk about that a lot and it's quite a complicated thing like you know it could be related to someone's culture as well um, and not everybody supervision is quite a threatening thing for people I've sort of got this in some of my training I've got a Mr Bean slide where it shows um, Mr Bean's pointing a finger and saying I'm watching you I'm staring. At, I'm staring at you because it's how we feel. Supervisors <laughs> feel like it, and supervisees do as well. You know, like oh my god. You know, you, some people can feel like they're being analysed. Uh, so I think this is where supervisors need to use some of their skills um, and really try and break down some of the the misconceptions and also just put people at ease and have kind of transparent conversations about what it is and then how does it relate to ultimately, you know, in the end people are worried about being told or judged that they're not doing their job properly. So if you were explicit about, okay, what is your job, which aspects, are there any aspects you're concerned about that we can work on together? If people understand they're not going to be judged, so it depends a bit on you know, what happens with the line manager, how that actually takes place. Um, so it's a very, I mean, I, I'll start rambling on here and I don't want to do that because it's a <laughs> area. Um, we could talk a long time about that. 
But I, I mean, it draws on so many of the types of things we would do with clients around revisiting that relationship, setting boundaries, you know, um, having ongoing conversations. Is this working for you? How are we going? What are your goals now? So I, th- I think it sounds like something a lot of people would be quite innately good at. It's just how do we translate what we might do with clients to peers? And I think sometimes that gets lost a little bit. Yeah, I think that's true. And that's where, I mean, training is useful in that sense. And there's a lot written now. There's a lot of stuff written about supervision and being a supervisee. There are, um, I mean, there are books on how to be a supervisee and there are certainly dozens and dozens of books on supervision now in Australia and in, you know, across, across the world. So there is information to, to, uh, to get around many of those things. So for those listening who might be interested in becoming supervisors uh, or they want to get in touch with you, what are some of the products and services you offer? Where can people find you? How can they get in touch? Well, they can look on my website and they'll always see um, under events on janewexler.com. There's always a list of the, the um, face-to-face training that I'm running publicly. So anybody can attend that in Melbourne. Um, I run training for, I, I, I go around Australia and all over the place running training for organisations. So if they think their organisation might like prefer on-site training, um, they can again get in touch with me that way um, on the, from the website. And also we run a, an online um, level one training for new supervisors. So they can do, don't have to do face-to-face training. It's, um, it's, a, it's a great little course that, that uh, I developed with um, some technical education experts. So it all hangs around video scenarios and people can do that training in their own time. Um, they get CP, it's endorsed, all the training's endorsed. So they can see all of that on the website. Um, they can contact me directly. There's also a, um, the AASW, I did a brief, um, I think it was a half hour interview on, um, thinking about becoming a supervisor so they can do that through the the professional development section of the oh, I think it's the SWAT part of the um, AASW website they can find that there and I'll, I'll put links to all of those in the show notes so yeah there are plenty of places and look I'm always happy for people to ring me up for any reason they just want to chat about something or get some ideas um, and as I said I'm always running new different workshops and I'm definitely going to follow up the um, the business uh, workshop idea. Great. Well, I'd love to hear more about that when you get it up and running. Maybe we can have another episode just on social workers venturing out into business. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be great fun. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. There's definitely some really good pearls of wisdom and you have such a beautiful way of talking about that relationship as being a genuine relationship, so not just putting the blame or the responsibility on the supervisor or the supervisee and and finding ways to get people to actively use supervision, but then also getting the supervisor to think, how can I work with the with the supervisee if they're quite passive? And I think that's a really beautiful approach to to keep that conversation really fluid. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Maureen. I, I really appreciate your questions and... Um... I've really enjoyed talking with you and yeah, it's, it's, uh, I agree with you. Keeping things fluid and open and um, spontaneous is, is really important.
think it helps people keep moving along. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed my episode with Jane Wexler, all the information we talked about today can be found in the show notes. So you can head over to Jane's website and don't forget to write us a rating or a review. If there's something in this that you liked, if you want other people to find us, that would be really appreciated. Uh, so go to iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is, wherever it is you get your podcast and leave a rating and a review. Thanks for listening and uh, have a great day. Bye.